0: Hello and welcome back to Courtside Convo presented by Impact 88.9 FM on the beautiful campus Michigan State University. I am your host Bobby Zephro with we've got four of us with us today. We've got Carter Landis, Darren Baidoon, Josh Rayapan, Zach Cernick. got the whole gang here and we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're recording this it is currently Sunday about 6:20 p.m. so we just got the luxury of watching the first two games of the day. Can't wait for that last one, but we'll start with something pretty historical that happened over the week and that was the NBA players choosing to postpone the games to bring more awareness to the injustices that are currently happening in our country and I rem- when they did that it just brings me back to an interview I heard on uh, Bill Simmons show and Bill Russell was they were playing the night that MLK got assassinated and they also asked the same thing like should we play and he said to this day that interview isn't too old and he still doesn't know if they should if they should have played so and they ended up playing so good for the NBA players to really you know stick up for what they believe in and still continue the message so do you guys have anything to say on that
1: Yeah I mean it's it's kind of you know I mean from their perspective, considering that, you know, a lot of people like, I mean, Kyrie Irving brought up how, like, should they even be playing, should they even resume the season with everything going on? And that was obviously before that was coming off of, you know, you know, the George Floyd shooting and Breonna Taylor shooting now with the Jacob Blake shooting. I think it's just like, yeah, you know, I mean, you would think they would have reached the breaking point already, but it's like, I mean, this really, I think for a lot of them, because Paul George, I think he talked about mainly, and I think it was a big reason why he struggled in terms of the, you know, the mental fatigue that you know the players were going through in the bubble and how like I mean you know it's it's basketball all the time they don't have their families they don't have you know anyone else other than themselves to really be able to outlet to so I think for a lot of them it might it, you know I, I know a lot of the reports for how emotionally raw they were right after and how like the I know because it said the Clippers and the Lakers vote did not resume the season and everything and so like I'm glad that they all came together instead of like they all came together with the, you know, with Adam Silver, with the owners, and they made a cohesive plan together, which I think is obviously it's, it's great that they can all, that it's great that they can present a unified front and make a decision like this with, you know, not just them, but with the whole league. Um But no, I think it was, I think it was a great thing. And I think it's, I think it shows that, you know, for them, it's like, we're not afraid of, you know, not have we're not, you know, we're not afraid to do this. Like we're going to, we're going to do what we, we're going to do what we, what we feel is necessary to, you know, to bring light to the issues that we think need to be addressed. So, you know, I, I applaud them for it. Um, and I think I mean quite honestly, considering everything that considering the fact that everything that they were trying to bring awareness to earlier in the year is still going on, I think it's I think it it might have been even necessary for them to do it, honestly. Definitely. Definitely. Um
2: and I saw Someone wrote a uh, column piece. I don't remember who it was, but the, the the headline of it really struck something with me. And it said, if you can't acknowledge the humanities of, you know, the athletes that are entertaining you, then you don't deserve to be entertained. And I think that that's a really good point. I think that was one of Kyrie's biggest points uh, from the get go before, you know, the bubble had began. And um, the whole thing with that is that like people really kind of ostracized Kyrie for that take the fact that you know playing would be a distraction and then it was a really good thing i think that they had stopped for that day like i mean like i it probably would have been upsetting if they had to cancel the season but i feel like i probably would have completely understood especially with what jalen brown said uh that every time he thinks of or he would every time he would see his jersey it would be he would think of Uh, seven shots in Jacob Blake's back. It's it's really powerful. And I think a lot of people, a lot of the fans really forget that these guys are, they're first off, they're human beings. Secondly, they are African-American human beings in a time where racial tensions have possibly never been higher. So I think that using your voice and such a huge platform is the best thing that they can do. Uh, I think it would have been probably a good idea if they shut down the season because then people would have realized you know this is what they're doing it for this is a big deal they're losing out on all this money it was fred van Vliet that basically brought up the idea of not playing and he's a guy who's looking to uh make a bunch of money in this offseason so if he doesn't have a good playoff run you know to play then you know what's that going off if it shows you the gravity of this uh, situation
3: yeah, i i think so or I agree with that it would definitely make a statement, but I also kind of – I saw something that Draymond Green posted um, on Instagram about the statement with the potential shutdown of the season, and his c- argument was that it would be – it would make a powerful claim, but they already made the statement with the few games, and it he said, in his opinion, it was counterproductive to complete – it would be counterproductive to completely shut everything down because then they don't have the platform – Like if they hadn't restarted, then nobody would have been talking about that they went on a strike for a couple days and didn't play. So they have the platform and they're able to use it. And so I think that that was ultimately a good decision in terms of them still being able to make some bounds towards a practical change here because it's definitely needed in our world.
4: I mean, yeah, just going off, I mean, just, just so much kudos to the NBA for the association that they run. I mean, the fact that you can be that transparent with your players, Adam Silver, is on social issues. I mean, the NBA has been just on the ball about it, on the mark, and just trying to be learn more, open more to their players. I mean, as a player, you just got to appreciate the, the amount of time that they've done, like, even not complaining. Like, you know, like they could have easily just marked, like, all those games as forfeits or losses as per the rules. But the fact that they're able to understand that, understand that this is just a sport, as much as we love All the sports that we love to watch, there are more important issues than who wins a championship. And like we said, racial tensions. This is a serious issue and that, in fact, a majority of your players have been through situations like this, have seen it in person, have come from areas such as, like, lower class areas that suffer from high racial tensions. It's important to understand that. And I just got so much kudos to the players for being brave enough to step up and Also to the owners, to the players, for understanding, coming together and just finding a solution to this that works for both sides as well.
0: Yeah, unprecedented times. Plus, I forgot who mentioned it, but yeah, the fact that they're in the bubble, not really with their families either. I mean, you have like your brothers on the team, but I mean, to go through like, you know, the bubble and all these, right, all these things happening in our country and you don't really just, like I said, you have your brothers on the team you could talk to, but you're kind of like alone almost, you know, like you go in your hotel room, you're in the bubble and it's just a crazy time to have a lot of time to think. So after basketball did resume, we got the East, which not too exciting. The lower seed took a total of one game through the first round. And that was Milwaukee and Orlando. They took game one and Milwaukee, swept them after that winning that series four to one Raptors sweep the Nets sweep sweep Celtics sweep the Sixers sweep sweep Miami sweeps Indiana which actually was kind of surprising as well I a lot of us on that um, first episode had Miami in like six maybe seven but Miami made a statement that first round and they'll be taking on Milwaukee in the second round so we'll start with Carter Carter uh, who do you like in this series?
2: Uh, I still like Milwaukee to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I know that the Heat, I think, are a trendy upset pick right now. Uh, but I think that the Bucks, even though they were playing the Magic, they do look pretty good right now. I mean, Chris Middleton overcame those struggles from the first game where he shot it not well and was fouling a lot. Uh, obviously, the Miami Heat are pretty good. Um, but the Milwaukee Bucks are hitting their threes right now. And uh, Giannis is obviously doing his thing. I know Bam Adebayo is a good defender, but I really don't see him slowing down Giannis much at all. And in this, in that series against the Pacers, uh, they got a lot of production from Tyler Hero. He played really well off the bench for them. And I think Goran Dragic did too. I don't know how consistent the production can be from a rookie like Hero. I know he's he is very good. But um, I don't think I trust – I don't trust – the heat enough to stop the one seed. I think they'll probably take a game or two just because they are that good of a team, but I feel like there's too much talent on this Bucks team for them to lose, at least in this series.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, Miami, to me, I was honestly thinking that just with the way the teams are made up, it gives me a bit of a vibe because the thing is, if, if – the Bucks, you know, if the Bucks supporting gas, yes, you know, if Chris Milton isn't able to get his shots up against Jimmy Butler, who's likely going to be his primary defender, if Eric Bledsoe can't continue, you know, if Eric Bledsoe can't, cont- you know, continually be able to take advantage of the opportunities he has, whether it's driving to rim, making open shots, things like that, they've been better. They were, they, they got, at least offensively, they were a lot more, yeah, you're right. They were a lot more well-rounded in the, in the after they got beaten the first game against Orlando and they, they did what we were expecting. Although, this my this Miami team just the way they operate they they give me a bit of like a little bit of like a bad boy pistons vibe because they have a lot of guys that just take no you know just take nothing from anybody Jimmy Butler Bam Adebayo Jay Crowder you know Andre Iguodala like all a lot of those guys tough defensive minded and they will go right at you and I just feel like I feel like Milwaukee has to be ready for a fight and I because it's not, you know, Miami's gonna give them everything they got. And I I would not be surprised if they at least if this series goes to at the very least six. Because Miami is a good team. They I mean, granted, yes, Indiana was missing the Montes for the entire series, and Victor Oladipo probably wasn't quite all the way back to his to his pre you know to his all-star self from a couple of years ago. But they pretty much dismissed the Pacers. I mean they pretty I mean that was they pretty much did. And so this is a team that I think can give the Bucks at the very least a scare, and I mean a lot of a lot of people around the NBA community are saying that the that the Heat have a real shot. So I'm not going to discount them. I would still take the Bucks just because Giannis, at the end of the day, is he can just he just makes so much of a difference just in so many areas, not just scoring, but you know rebounding, pat, you know pat, even still passing defensively. I mean he's going to win probably. He's basically going to be the first. What the first MVP, first MVP, co MVP, and defensive player of the year since I believe David Robinson or Hakeem Olajuwon? One of those, one of those two when they did that. Like it's one of only a few guys in company. Um, yeah, great company. Um, but I think this, can, I think this can be a uh, show stealing series. Maybe not just for maybe the whole playoffs. Just because I feel like the uh, Miami, I feel like has the makeup of a team that can could definitely push Milwaukee. Definitely pushed them at least a lot more than Orlando was able to, even though they did get a game on.
2: Yeah, and going off of the uh, the Pacers in regards to the Pacers, um, I honestly don't think it was a good decision to fire Nate McMillan. Uh, I understand. I understand the urgency with the playoff record, and that that uh, that release that they that they put out after they fired him was really interesting. The way they worded it, where they said. Yeah, we know that here, here's his record. Also, here's his playoff record. It's 3-16 and 16 or something, some, or some terrible record along that line. But it's like in those series, your first series was against the Cavs in 2018 when Oladipo and that team took that Cavs team to seven. And then his next series was 19 against the Celtics where they got swept, but they didn't have Oladipo. And then this past series is kind of the same thing where you don't have some of your top contributors I feel like he should get a pass for that because he's a good coach and he's probably going to land on his feet somewhere I understand the urgency but I don't think he should have been fired
1: no I see that frankly I, I feel like honestly you could go back to even when Frank Vogel was still there and I don't think when Frank Vogel got let go I think that I, I didn't think that it was that reasonable I mean both of the both of them have did good jobs I mean Nick McMillan did overall a really good job of being able to you know when, when you think you trade when you seemingly when you trade Paul George, you expect like, oh boy, well, all right, we're going in the tank now. We're going to our cup rebuilt. But no, I mean, listen, they they identified all the depots the bonus. They took huge strides. And listen, to that I mean, a lot that you have to give McMillan credit for that. And you have to give him credit for being able to coach what, on paper, if everyone was healthy, seems like a really well-rounded team that the Pacers would have. And I mean, I know. I don't know. Maybe they're looking for more offense because I know – I think the report was is that they were, if he was available, they would look to hire uh, Mike D'Antoni, which, you, you know, I mean, he's no, – I'm not saying that would be a bad hire. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think McMillan – no, I don't think he did any – I don't think he necessarily deserved to get fired. I can understand if they maybe think that McD'Antoni is more upside, but I think he should definitely – He has, he's done well enough to where he'll, he'll probably land on his feet somewhere. I definitely think
0: that. And then, just to throw this in, um, sorry, sorry, Josh, uh, McMillan was three hundred nineteen and one hundred eighty-three with the Pacers, or sorry, whoops, one hundred eighty-three and one hundred thirty-six. These numbers aren't spaced out that good. And then, boasting a kind of brutal three and sixteen playoff record, Josh, go ahead.
4: I mean, yeah, when you look at just the Miami versus Milwaukee series, uh, sorry to get off track on the Pacers a little bit, but I mean, just like you said, Miami has a dog just dog mentality which i love in any nba team and it's not just that i mean they got shooters too i mean hero shoots well duncan robinson one of possibly my top five favorite players to watch play because he's just sniping threes from the corner anywhere around the arc and you know jimmy i i trust jimmy's defense on middleton in the seven game series i don't want to predict the seven game series again because i know what happened last time when i predicted portland i'm not doing that again uh I'm still going to trust my gun. The one seed, so I'll choose Milwaukee probably in six or seven though. I'll, I'll give him two or three games for Miami for sure.
0: I'll say going to hit him with a Charles Barkley guarantee, Josh, or <laughs> not again. <laughs> All right, Jack, go ahead.
3: Um, well, one thing I wanted to say about before we completely get off of the Pacers and Nate McMillan, it really confused me that they extended his contract two weeks ago. Like, they extend his contract back on August 12th and then they fire him two weeks later. It just, it doesn't make much sense to me there. Um, It was definitely an interesting, interesting move, but now on this Milwaukee and Miami series, this is, I like, like you guys said, I think this is going to be a really good series. Um, I've said since the beginning of the playoffs with Miami, they're a team that I could see getting out of the East and getting to the finals, or I could see them. I could have seen them losing to Indiana. I just, I mean, they've got a lot of talent, but I'm not sure what to expect of them out of this series because I really think they could upset Milwaukee. But I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with – I think I'll go with Milwaukee. Um, I haven't been sold on the Bucks. I'm not sure that I think they make it to the finals. Um, but I, I'm going to take them in this series in, say, give me six games.
0: Yeah, I mean – I do like, like I've said before on the last episode, I love those rough and tough and tumble teams, you know, like Miami, especially because with those veteran guys like Butler, Iguodala, that kind of mentality also rubs off on the younger guys like Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo's in his second or third year. Um, But the one counter I have for Miami, I guess, Giannis has 80 rebounds in the playoffs, and the next highest is a guy who only played four games and Jared Allen at 59. So if they – if Giannis can really just establish himself in the paint, I know they've been coming at him with, like, that wall defense trying to get him out, but they just got to move the ball f- – if they can move the ball fast enough to get Miami's defense to be in disarray and Giannis can get those open looks, I'll take Mil- – I'm going to go Milwaukee, but I'm going to say seven. That thing's going to go seven. I think it'll be a great series. Jimmy Butler and the Heat don't want to go home, so they'll give Milwaukee all they can get, is what I think. So, on to the next one. We got the luxury of seeing game one earlier today. Boston giving Toronto all they can handle. I forgot to put the final score up on here, but um, we'll start with Darren. Darren, what were your uh, thoughts about that dominant game one for Boston?
1: Well, Toronto, first of all, I will say just I think in general probably won't shoot Thirty-seven percent from the field again. I They're just too talented of a team to do that. But then again, but Boston. But then again, Boston is. They're a really good team too. I mean, the one thing is, they have probably the best player on the floor right now in Jason Tatum in that series. I mean, it, it's hard to say. I know. Listen, obviously, Kyle Lowry is an incredibly, you know, is a very isn't you know is a very highly decorated veteran who is still producing really well. And, I, and we all know what Pascal the, the jump that Pascal Siakam made this year, but what Jason Tatum has done is – I mean, he looks like a potential superstar. And even though I think Toronto overall is a deeper team, the higher – it you can argue Boston overall in terms of their high-end talent when you talk about Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kim Walker, um, and, you know, maybe – I mean, I don't know if Gordon Hayward is potentially could come back, and it's probably not. He's probably going to be still out with his injury for a, long, a decent amount of time still. But um, their high-end talent is maybe, I would say, just a little bit better than Toronto's. Um, So it wasn't shocking to me that they won. I, I Again, I don't think Toronto will shoot this badly um, for the rest of the series. Although I think it would, it's, you know, Boston's going to, Boston's a team that I think could definitely, just because of how, again, how their high end talent is, I think that they have, I wouldn't be shocked that they beat Toronto. I think this is a series that I, I would actually say I do think this is going to go seven games just because I think – I mean, both of these teams are that good. And it's just – I mean, to me, these are the two teams – Miami's going to give Milwaukee, I think, definitely a push. But I – in terms of those teams, I think either one could – I would not be shocked if either one honestly made those made, made out of these. I would not because they – to me, they're both that good. And, um, you know, Boston made a statement because I would probably – I would probably lean toward Toronto, but the way they play today, that's that's a it, it was it was a little eye opening for me.
2: Yeah. So I mean my evaluation is that Boston's freaking good is what they are. And I think I've really I think I at least have really undervalued what the Celtics are. I mean, this was the three seed in the East. You know, this was a team that was not too far off of what Milwaukee and Toronto was this year, and you're right that Jason Tatum is taking that next step forward to becoming, you know, one of the more reliable options, one of the better stars in the league for sure. And another thing is I think it's been really awesome to see Kemba playing well and being able to be surrounded by a good supporting cast, uh, good coaching, finally, you know, finally out of that kind of garbage situation for him in Charlotte. And he can not not exactly take a back seat, I guess, to Jason Tatum, but, you know, be a complimentary player to him because he's a great scoring guard still. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Boston is obviously going to give Toronto everything they have. Um, The thing about Toronto is I agree with you. They're definitely not going to shoot 37% from the field the whole whole game. But there is a definite concern of where the consistent scoring comes from. Because Siakam is probably your best player. Usually your best player is your best scorer on your team. But Siakam as an offensive player is pretty limited. Um, You know, he doesn't have too many moves. uh, And, you know – there isn't really a consistent shooter, I guess. I mean, Fred Van Vliet's pretty good, but he shot two of 11 from three today. Um, I don't know how long you can rely on your defense and, and not having a go-to score. Uh, I think that Nick nurse is a good enough coach to be able to figure this out though. So I wouldn't worry too much about them. I think that their first round series against Brooklyn was kind of a sleep walkthrough series. So this is, this is the, the, the thing, the annual tradition for Toronto where you lose game one and everyone freaks out. So I wouldn't put it past Toronto to improve, but um, this is going to be a fun series.
4: I mean, yeah, you know, Toronto shot 25% from three today, 10 for 40. You know, if they shoot normally from three. You know, this is a close game. You don't expect that. And obviously, you know, like Carter said, Toronto game one, I think last season, last series, last season, my fault, uh, against the Bucks. You know, they lose the first one. I uh, think they at least lost the first two. Or I forgot what happened, but uh, they come back. Went four straight against the Bucks. I mean, they're just too well coached of a team. But I mean, like you said, with Pascal Siakam, Boston has that bucket getter at the end of bucket at the end of the game. I mean, who do you trust? I trust Jason Tatum in my life to get a bucket. Like who do I trust with Toronto? Van Fleet? I I'm not sure. I mean, he shot bad. I mean, I get you have the diversity of scoring. Well, in the playoffs, does that diversity help when you don't have the high-end talent like Boston has? I mean, you have Jalen Brown, Kemba, and Tatum, just three guys who you can trust with 30 seconds left, go get me a bucket. Even at the end towards the third quarter, you saw Jason Tim just straight up pull up and hit the buzzer beater at the end of the third. I mean, he's just that type of player, and Toronto just doesn't have that. And let me just get one thing on the record here. Whoever wins this series is going out of the East. That's my prediction right now. I'm pretty confident in that. Um, For me, I kind of want to pick the Celtics in this one in seven. I just feel like they can make that push. They have the coaching. They have the high-end talent. And they have enough defense off the bench where they can legitimately make this a series.
3: I definitely think that this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, Toronto, I think, with the coaching style of Nick Nurse, and we saw it last year, I think Toronto is the best-equipped team in the East to stop Milwaukee but I'm not sure that Toronto is going to get to Milwaukee. Um, Toronto was originally my pick out of the East. Um, And I think that they still have a shot, but Boston, I took a lot of, so I was writing for a website over the summer and I did an NBA power rankings after the restart was announced, but before they had started playing games. And I had Boston outside of my top five and I took a ton of heat from it, from people and I really kind of started to think more about it and started to watch Boston as these went in. And that's a really, they're a really talented team. And I think they, they went out by, I think Milwaukee got them last year. Yeah. After the Paul Pierce, uh, it's over statement, but I think that it's going to be really tough for Toronto to get past them just because Boston's got so much Hayward's out still, but, You've got Tatum, you've got Brown, you've got Smart, you've got Walker. You've got a lot of guys that can go get buckets. And Toronto is good defensively. But as you guys have mentioned, the offense, I mean, it's not, it wasn't there today. And it really hasn't been there that much all season. Toronto's dominated games with their defense. And so if they can't stop Boston from scoring in triple digits every game, they're going to struggle. And so I'm going to take Boston in six.
0: I was going to Dad, say – of like, You took the what, words right out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Darren.
1: I was going to say, well, coming out like – coming up of what I think Josh had pointed out a little bit ago was like how, you know, obviously last year when Toronto, you know, won the title, obviously Kawhi was the guy. And everyone filled the role around him. You know, Kyle Lowry was willing, you know, took a step back from the role he had usually filled and everything. And, you know, and Pascal Siakam, you know, he filled his – you know, he was like this, you know, highly efficient second, you know, second option guy, and he filled that role perfectly. I mean, that is the one thing where it's like, you know, Tatum, you know, who, you know for Boston, you know who's going to be the guy. You know who it is. It's got to be Tatum, and it's be, it's, it all, at least all likely it's going to be Tatum. And he's, he's shown that he can, he can take on that role, and, he, and they can win with him in that. With Toronto, they have a lot of guys that can go out and, and have a really good game, like Siakam, like Lowry, Van Vliet you know, Abaka, Norman Powell, you know, Marcus Salt. Like, they have a lot of guys who can go out there and contribute, but who is going to be that guy that closes for them? You would think it's Lowry just because of how long he's been on there, but also – but he wasn't the one who led the team in scoring this year. That was Siakam. So, is Siakam going to be willing to take, grab that baton and say, like, all right, right, I'm I'm the, I'm, this is my franchise. Like, I'm the one that needs to be able to do this or – Like, I think that's the one thing – I think that's the one thing they need to figure out, especially in terms of looking at Siakam's future potential because they need – you know, they're going to have to – they need to figure out if he's going to be able to – if he can be – like, with his talent, he could be maybe the best player in the playoff series, or at least he has that kind of potential. But they – you know, but if he's not that this series, I'd be inclined to say that probably Boston is going to take it.
0: Yeah, I like – I do like Boston in this series as well. I'm gonna go with Zach and also say Boston in six. I mean, Boston got Siakam in the early foul trouble. His, I believe it was his third or fourth, was kind of ticky-tacky. I believe it was Jalen Brown on a three where he kind of quote got in his airspace. That one was a little ticky-tacky, but hey, I mean, he shouldn't have. Maybe he shouldn't have gotten those first two fouls. I'll put him in a position to make it come down to that. But hey, I mean, yeah, the Raptors. Lowry and Van Fleet, 8 for 28 on the day. Just not a good shooting performance. I do agree this series would probably be more competitive throughout the other games, but I don't know, especially if you think uh, Boston still doesn't have Gordon Hayward. I mean, they could be even scarier than what they are, which is, you know, kind of scary to think about it in itself. Um, and then another thing, too, Tatum has also this year been a much improved defender. He's actually – excuse me <clears> – <throat> There we go. Tatum is actually third in the playoffs in blocks, which I didn't know as of before today's game. He's third with nine blocks. So Boston-Toronto, that score, which I finally found, was 112-94. Boston takes game one. And so we go to the wild, wild west. The Lakers beat the Blazers in five. That series became a sleeper once Damian Lillard said he was out. Houston currently leads Oklahoma City three games to two. That game is on tomorrow. Clippers just beat the Mavs in six games, which we'll talk more about. And then Utah, which plays tonight at 830 against Denver, that series in at three games to two as well. So we'll start with the game today. Um, Clippers Mavericks. uh, We'll start with Zach. Why don't you lead us off?
3: That was a really good game. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't at first. It I mean, it wasn't the first half, but in the second half, the Clippers just pulled away late in the third. They were up by I believe they were up fifteen or sixteen most of that second half towards the end of it. And it was it was kind of a all right, well, Luca did what he could. They're without Porzingis type vibe, and then all of a sudden you look back up and all of a sudden it's a six point game. And they just started knocking down shots. Tim Hardaway Jr. finally hit a three. He was 0 for 8 before he hit that first one. And then I think he finished the game three for four or two for three down the stretch for them. And the Mavericks, somebody said in our chat before that the Mavericks just couldn't buy a three. And then all of a sudden, everything went down. And they couldn't miss a three for a little bit.
4: They heard Josh.
3: (laughs) But, um, I mean, it was – It's the Mavericks have really struggled defensively all season long. And they, when it mattered most, they couldn't get a stop. I mean, you saw Kawhi getting the open dunk or, and then uh, I believe it was Zubak that got the dunk and then Trey Burke picks up a silly foul on it. And, but I mean, it was just a really good offensive performance in the fourth quarter from the Clippers. Reggie Jackson was huge down the stretch. Um, and just a really strong way to close out what was a really fun series to watch.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's for looking at the Mavs. I mean, with as injured as they were, because they were missing Porzingis, they were still missing um, Dwight Powell. They, like, they, they had several guys that had been out for a, you know that had been out even before going that series. And without Porzingis, it's Luca was amazing. Luca was amazing the entire series. Obviously, the buzzer beater in Game Four is going to it will, will is going to go down as iconic and especially seeing it live was, was like, fantastic. Um, but it's – when you have a team like that, like Dallas, that's that injured, it's – and, you know, it's, it, it's just – it's hard. It's just that – it's really hard just to be able to hold off – to be able hold off a team as deep as the Clippers are for that long. Like, and they just – and you know what? And give credit to – you know, we talked about how he needed to come in this series in games – you know, in game five especially, and then at time – and definitely, you know, at times in game six – Paul George was Paul George again, you know, he, you know, he was able to, he got his mojo. I mean, and we brought him up earlier and he talked about how like mentally he was, you know, he was dealing with, he's been dealing with a lot of things in the bubble that affected him in the first, you know, in the first game, few games of the series, but he got his mojo back. He got, you know, he did what he needed to do. And he's, you know, he looks now like a guy that can, you know, that can be that second, that second star next to Kawhi Leonard who, you know, had 33 points and was and was terrific as usual. And, you know, Reggie Jackson, I mean, the, the thing about the Clippers, obviously they're really deep and, you know, Reggie Jackson, you know, I mean, making those key plays, it reminds me that when, I mean, when he was the starter for the Pistons back in 2015, I believe, if I remember correctly, he had, he was one of the top five clutch scores in the league that season. Like he was, he made, he was, when he was healthy, like that was probably the last year he was really fully healthy and effective, at least for the most part as a starter. Um, he was a he was capable of making a lot of clutch plays so he's he's done it before so it's not as shocking maybe just a little maybe considering just everything he's gone through these past several years after you know with Detroit it's maybe a little surprising that he still had him but um that's the thing about the Clippers they have so many guys who can just come alive at any moment and just and, and kill you and it's just you know it's gonna be a tough and it's gonna be a tough out for you know, for anybody through the next, I mean, through the next series. I mean, whether it's, you know, depending on whether it's Denver or Utah that they face next. Um, But, I mean, I give credit to Dallas. They put up an incredible fight for six games. Um, I mean, overall, I would say it was a really good series, other than obviously the fifth game where the Clippers just, Decided that all right, we're gonna end this now. So we're, just, we're we're tired of this. So we're just gonna
0: we're gonna put Turned this down real quick. <laughs> no, I,
1: they they were. I think they were like, all right, we're done with this. Like we we need to remind people of what we actually are. Which I mean, you know, they, they you know, it's just. But yeah, but the, the the Dallas is going to be a team that when they're when they get to be healthy and especially if they're maybe able to add. Potentially, like a third, a third star type player, um, you know, maybe down the line somewhere. But obviously, they'll have Doncic and Porzingis for the foreseeable future. That's going to be a team that's probably going to be, probably going to be getting to the top of the West sooner rather than later. So, I think this was a good, I think this was a, I think I'll take this as like a very, a very good tease of what Dallas is could potentially become. I think that I think what potentially they could become, because I mean they are listen. They had they 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 took the I mean they beat the Clippers they took it to six games they made you know they had they made them have to respond and go out like you know like we said like in game five and put the clamps on them so you know they 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 you know they they took them they took them they took them close to their limits so I'll give them credit I'll give them credit for that yeah the thing about the the Clippers today is
2: that I mean the. I think the main takeaway is that Kawhi Leonard is about as locked in as he's going to be for as long as the Clippers are playing. I mean, you know, he, he had 33 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists, five steals. He didn't miss a free throw. Uh, He was getting everything he wanted on the offense. Like Zach said, he had that open dunk. He was facing up against anybody that he was against knocking down a bunch of mid range jumpers. And this speaks to the luxury of the Clippers that Paul George, while getting a little bit back on track, was still shot six of 19 today. So even if, you know, even if your second best guy, Paul George, isn't performing, you still have other guys who stepped up, like Zubach and Reggie Jackson, both had really good games. And I think the fact that this was a 2-7 game speaks to the parity of the league that I think we've shifted back to now that the Warriors aren't as dominant or might not be as dominant as they used to be going forward. Uh, You have a 2-7 series that goes six games. And you have people saying that Dallas could, as a seven seed, first off, win this series. And I saw some predictions that they could go to the finals even. So I think it's good to have, you know, an even playing field again. I think it makes the league a lot more fun than, you you know, just watching the Dynasty team just run through the league, basically not even trying until they get to the finals. But, I mean, this series is fun. I mean, Oklahoma City and Houston is a lot of fun. And I think that, you know, the NBA, as people wanted it to be, you know, before 2016 has kind of come back, even with, you know, top of the league duos and, you know, dominant teams everywhere. Uh, the thing about, uh, I think the Clippers are probably going to the finals. I mean, I, my prediction was that the Lakers would, and I think that if they end up meeting each other, it's going to be a good series because honestly, I think that my opinion on that is probably going to flip flop as much as it can until it eventually could happen. But uh yeah, the Clippers are just so tough, and today really showed me that, especially.
4: I mean, yeah, the Clippers, you know, they're they are a deep team, and Paul George, I mean, I guess you can deal with his bad shooting against a team like the Mavericks, I mean, not great defensively, and for the Mavericks, for their next up, I mean, they need a defensive wing player ASAP, I mean, Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway cannot be your main defenders on Kawhi Leonard down the stretch, and more importantly on Rick Carlisle, just his coaching down the stretch defensively was just atrocious. I mean, throughout the series. I mean, a team like the Mavs, you have to play better defensively. You're just getting right inside, quiet, blowing past his defender. Every time, you even pulling up mid-range and not even doubling him towards the end in the fourth quarter. I mean, the man's on fire, and you're just not going to – you're just still single-teaming him every time. Like, I don't care if they have a bunch of shooters on the floor. I get it. they have Town, they have Paul George, Reggie Jackson, but – I mean, you can't let Kawhi kill you like that down the stretch, especially after the momentum you created. I mean, it's ridiculous. You like you just double team him, and there's no excuse for it. You just you've got to stop the guy, and that's all what it comes down to towards the end. And there's just I don't know if the Clippers get away with how they played against a tougher team like maybe Utah, maybe Denver, maybe Los Angeles. I would like Paul George to shoot better than he did. He'll have to when it comes against the Lakers especially with the way the Lakers have been playing the last couple games as well. But for me, I appreciate the way the Clippers played hard, tough, physical team, but the Mavs, I mean, luka's special, but just the way they played defense just disappointed me throughout the whole game. It was just, I just couldn't watch it. It was just not my style of basketball.
0: Yeah, on that note, too, yeah, Kawhi Leonard down the stretch was just facing up in the midpost, you know, whoever he wanted. He's like, all right, you want some? You want some? Tim Hardaway, come get some. Finney Smith, come get some. Like, he, I do agree with you, Josh. You, you got to do something to stop the man at that point. But um, to Carter and Darren's note, too, Paul George didn't have the greatest shooting night, but just the way that he, the way he carried himself on the floor, the way he was, he also had, I think, eight rebounds and six assists to go with the 15 points on six of 19 shooting. But I mean, he just looked like the Paul George of old, at least, Whether even though the numbers weren't quite particularly there. you saw I just saw a much more confident Paul George. And then we didn't really touch on either the the Morris ejection. I forgot. it's Marcus on the Clippers, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I just want to make sure I get them mixed up, obviously, you know, the, the whole twin thing. But. Yeah, I mean, that that foul, at that moment, I thought maybe that Dallas, you know, would come back and, you know, kind of rally around that. Like, they're trying to take out our guy, Well, we'll just take it out on you on the floor and, you know, beat you on the scoreboard. But I forgot who said it. I think it was Doris Burke on the broadcast. She said, you know, the Mavs don't really have that enforcer, you know, where if someone – or to, you know, be picking on guys, and they could come over, like Mark, like Marcus Morris for the Clippers is their enforcer, you know, you get, I feel like a lot of the good teams have one of those, even though the Clippers lost theirs, I mean, they're just too deep of a team, and then another thing, I'm still, I talk about him all the time, so I have to get my Boban in, he was the only, well, not the only player to be in the plus minus, if he wasn't at least plus one but he was plus 16 in the plus minus on the game i'm just saying i i don't think he gets enough credit so shout out bobon sorry you got to go home but clippers were the better team in this one and then lucas first playoff series i mean we got all we could ask for and more uh, espn didn't have the final averages up but through five games he had he averaged 29.6 points 10 boards about eight and a half assists and then he had 38 nine and nine in the closing game of the series. So we'll move on to another series that is still going, which also might end today. We're going to go to Utah and Denver. We'll start with Josh. Go ahead. What you, are what you thinking
4: about Utah-Denver? I mean, this has just been an amazing series. Last couple of games, I mean, Donovan Mitchell has been – here's the thing with Donovan Mitchell. I don't think he doesn't get enough credit. He's very underappreciated as a star in this league. And I'm glad he's finally getting attention in the playoffs and he's stepped up the way he has because I just don't think people see him as this – I think of him just like Jason Tatum on his level as well. But people just don't see him at that level. They see him as maybe like a second star sort of like Donovan Booker. And he's also at Tatum's level as well, but 37.6 points per game. He's also leading the NBA and in three-pointers made as well. He's stretching the floor out and also just the way he runs the pick and roll with Gobert just that, that's been killing the Nuggets all day long, him pulling up from mid-range off that pick, finding people open. It's just amazing to watch. And obviously, you know, we can't talk about Donovan Mitchell if you don't talk about Jamal Murray as well. I mean, just the last two games, just 46 points per game, 7.5 assists per game, nine rebounds per game with no turnovers. I mean, he has just been willingly just keeping Denver in this series. And it's, it's just – it's amazing to watch just these two just go at it down the stretch time after time and I I don't know who's gonna win this series but man I just can't wait to watch tonight
1: yeah Mitchell for you Mitchell has been like ungodly in terms of his scoring I mean he started out the series by scoring what 57 or, or some you know or or a number of similar like 57 59 or whatever number it was I mean he's he's brought it basically in every game I mean I I've just been overall really surprised by how effective Utah has been on offense as a whole. I thought that maybe they would struggle a bit considering the fact that, you know, Donovan was like the one primary, you know, shot maker in their starting lineup since they, you know, since they don't have a Bogdanovich, you know, who averaged, you know, 20 points and shot 40% from three point range for them uh, in the regular season. But they have been incredibly efficient overall. I mean, in, in games, in games, you know, and then in the three straight games they won. I mean, they basically just other than game other than game four, it was it was you know it was close. But games two and three, I mean, they beat the bricks off of Denver. I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, Denver is one of the deepest teams in the league, but uh, it's you know they Utah has just been able they made shots. They made shots at a very at a very high rate, and they you know Denver you know they gave them you know they were able to get that last game. But you know, honestly, I think that. With the way – even though Jamal Murray has put up incredible performances um, and he's definitely – he definitely has he's – he's been – he's elevated – he's been elevating himself to try and match Mitchell the best he can. I mean, it's – I you know, it's been a great – it's been a great showdown to watch between those two as the series has gone on. But I think Utah – I would – if I have to – I think Utah's going to take it. I really do. I just think that they – it's not that I don't think Denver can't make a run, but they—I don't know. It, it just there's a there's a difference to me when I know that I don't know. It's 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 hard. To, it's hard to qualify. Sorry, I don't mean to go rambling, but like it's hard to qualify. I just don't. I look at Denver, and I kind of it may be a similar thing in Toronto where they're an incredibly deep team. They have a lot of guys that can go off in any one game, but is, you know, and, and even though Murray and Jokic both have that potential, Donovan Mitchell is a killer. We know he's a killer. And we know that if he gets the chance, he, he's shown it before. He showed it in this rookie year when he closed out a Oklahoma City team that had Russell Westbrook, Paul George, he can, he can close. He Anthony. He's capable of leading the team to, you know, what would, what would be considered an, ups, an upset in the series, an upset in the playoff series. So I think, I think they get it tonight. I really do. I think that Mitchell's going to come out. I think he's going to come out with the – I think Utah's going to come out. I think they're going to try and keep their – I think they're going to try and immediately just try and put their foot on Denver's neck, and I don't think they're going to let off because I – I to me, they they look incredibly determined to, to – you know, they look incredibly determined to get to the next round. And not that I, – and I wouldn't be shocked if Denver wins, but I just think Utah, to me overall, has just played too well to see them just – wilt away in these next two games or or in this you know to or to lose two straight games I should say
2: yeah Uh, back when we were doing our predictions for this series I said that uh, Denver was just going to dominate Utah the rest of the way out I was pretty wrong about that Uh, (laughs) the thing is is Denver is not good defensively I mean they are getting Gary Harris back tonight but there's so many guys that that Donovan Mitchell and Utah Jazz can can target on defense, you know, like Gobert was giving Jokic work. Murray as good of a scorer as he is. Mitchell is giving him work on the defensive end. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. doesn't move too well on defense. Paul Millsap's like 37, 38 years old. He can't defend either. They literally don't play bowl-bowl because the guy can't move well on defense. Uh, I mean, getting Gary Harris back tonight should do something at least for – the Nuggets because they're not out of it yet you know they're only down three two they can force a game seven tonight but um who knew uh for Utah getting Mike Conley back would be such a big thing I mean he came out you know right away the game that he was back and had I think like 27 points or something like that and knocked down like seven threes you know a guy who was always a good shooter but never you know considered a a great one but just there's no one on Denver that can guard really anyone on the Jazz especially not Donovan Mitchell I mean like I said Gary Harris is back tonight and he might be able to he might be able to slow him down, but I just don't think it'll be enough. I mean, like Darren said, I don't know where the scoring consistency comes from. I know that Murray has been that guy, but um, he's also been prone to games where if he has like, you know, a 30, 40 point game, he can go out and put up like eight in the next game. So, you know, it's it's very possible he does that tonight. I don't know if he will, but I think that Denver at this point is uh just not looking good and i mean quinn snyder has done a great job out coaching michael malone Uh, utah just looks so much better than i thought they would so i think that they're going to win tonight too uh but if denver like darren said too i wouldn't be surprised if denver comes out and plays a good game and wins because they are good too it's just this has been a good series though
3: oh zach were you up uh sure um i think that i'm gonna go on a limb i'm gonna take denver um, you mentioned the the double coming back and I really think that's going to make a big difference in how this series plays out the rest of the way. I think that Donovan Mitchell has really went off all series. As we've talked about, he's been insanely good all series long. I think it was Darren that mentioned 57 game one and just dominant. But I think that, I think that Harris is going to be, he's always been their best defensive player on the nuggets i mean he was a defensive stopper at michigan state and he has been since he got in the league and i think that his athleticism on mitchell is going to cause some problems for a guy that mitchell's been able to score at will because they haven't had anybody to guard him or anyone on their team all series long and bringing back harris if he's healthy if he's not 100%, Mitchell's still going to destroy him because the basket's got to be looking like an ocean to Donovan Mitchell right now just because of how well he's been playing. But if Harris is 100% healthy, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how that turns out. But I think that Denver, at least tonight, is going I think Denver's going to win tonight, and I think they'll win in seven. But also, Utah could win this game by 45 tonight, and I wouldn't be that surprised either. <laughs> So,
0: yeah, I mean, you guys touched on it. Watching Donovan Mitchell play in the playoffs has just been absolutely electric. 37.6 points per game in the playoffs, which leads all of the playoff NBA. And as a team, the Jazz are shooting the best field goal percentage in the NBA as well at 51.3%, which goes to, you know, Quinn Snyder's credit. They've been able to figure out Denver. They've been able to tackle more of their week. They've been able to break them down. I mean, I on the last podcast I said Denver's my dark horse for a championship. Well, it's tough to be a dark horse for a championship if you lose in the first round. Which to De- Utah's credit, I mean, you know they've just outplayed Denver so far. Like Darren said, games I believe it was three and four was just absolute beatdowns of the Jazz or of the of the Nuggets and. I think I'm gonna give Denver the victory tonight, but I do think ultimately the Jazz will win in seven. I just wanna see Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell go at each other in a game seven. Who knows? They might put up one might put up fifty, the other might put up sixty, you know? So I'd be really excited to watch that. But I've got I've got Utah in seven on that one, which like I said, my dark horse team, it was nice knowing you Utah maybe next year. So um, we, we're going to highlight also the next potential um, second round matchup, uh, which is going to be between the Lakers and the winner of the Houston OKC series. Um, if you guys want to talk about either the hypothetical, like how Houston or Oklahoma City matches up with L.A. or just the Houston, Oklahoma series in general, go right ahead. Let's start with who hasn't started one today. We'll go around the horn, I think. We'll go Carter. I don't know if you started today.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with Houston winning the series against Oklahoma city. Um, and I think that the way they match up with the Lakers is really interesting because here's the thing that I've noticed with, um, the Rockets and how they have transitioned to uh, small ball defense after trading, uh, Clint Capella to the Hawks. Um, the thing is is they say every big man, every center is gonna put forty and twenty on PJ Tucker's head until it's time to play. PJ Tucker, to me, has always been one of my favorite role-playing guys in the league. I mean, he's a guy obviously on the defensive end, as you can see, that can guard a bunch of different positions and do it really well. And he has done that pretty well. Obviously, you know, he's gotten himself in a little bit of trouble uh the last game, but I think overall, you know, he's done a great job, especially Especially on, the, you know, especially on the defensive end. And also he's a guy who can go and get you a three if you need it. And obviously the Rockets may not need a three necessarily from him because they have so many good shooters. But I think that Mike D'Antoni's transition to this seemingly impossible idea and the fact that they've made it work and work efficiently and so well is really uh, just super commendable, I think. And now obviously I think it faces its biggest test because he's going to have to go up against Anthony Davis. And uh, I think it was the Lakers was the first game that they played uh, once they adjusted to the small ball. And I think PJ Tucker did a solid job on Anthony Davis that game. And I don't know how he can do it for a seven game series. That's why it's going to be fun to see. To me, the Houston Rockets are probably the most polarizing team in the entire playoffs because either it works so well to perfection that they're complete, you know, complete world beaters or, it is a complete disaster as we've seen in the past and you know I think this this, this series is going to be fun I mean I still think LeBron and Anthony Davis and that Lakers team is still determined to get to the finals and it's going to be you know a ridiculous effort from them still but I think that an LA Houston series could be one of the more fun ones we've seen and I mean, Russell Westbrook coming back is such a huge boost for them. I mean, I can see why people think that they're such a popular team to come out of the West. I mean, Houston's just super exciting, so
1: I can see it. Yeah, I would say the one thing that has surprised me, because I, I, I thought initially going into the series against OKC that the Thunder, they look to me like, I mean, Chris Paul, with the way he had played this year, with Alexander and Dennis Schroeder and Gallinari, and I, they seem like a team to me that – Especially since Westbrook wasn't going to be able to play at the start of the series, I'm thinking like, oh wow, they really they might just have a chance to pull it off. But Houston, the thing is, in the three games that Houston's won, they've won big. Like they, it has not been close, and they they have just they've just blown they've blown the thunder out of the water. And you know, in the games that Houston that OKC's won, it's been you know close down to the wire. You could argue that the game that they went into overtime that Houston probably should have won that game, um, but before before OKC before it even went it shouldn't even whatever it shouldn't have even went into overtime. Um, but I would have, yeah, I definitely, I think the Rockets are probably going to close out. I, I, you know, I think it may, I think it may be six. I don't know. I think it may be six games. There just hasn't just the way the series has gone. I just, yeah, I don't see a lot. OKC hasn't given me a lot of confidence. To, to, to think that they'll pull a game six just with the way they played overall. I mean, I'm not that I would not be shocked to see Chris Paul come out and, play really well or anything but it's i don't know it just houston with westbrook back and granted he didn't have he didn't pull up a big stat light by stat line by any means uh in the game five or anything although the way they played they didn't need it to <laughs> quite honestly but um no but what getting westbrook back now being able to and being able to, you know, have them get back right as hopefully as they would hope this series ends, and then pro- hopefully have them get, you know, be right back to full strength by the time they would presumably face LA um, or face LA. It present it's it's interesting because yeah, it is obviously it's it's the team in the league that probably has used you know probably uses size to the biggest uses the hat you know go, is the biggest team in the league because obviously you have usually have Davis or. Davis and, and either JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard on the floor at the same time, and they use that. And they've been able to bully teams with that kind of size versus a team in Houston where, you know, they trade Capella and T.J. Tucker's the starting center. It's it's small, it's small ball all the way. So it's going to be a great contrast. And, you know, I, but, and the one thing is that, yeah, Houston may not have the size, but they have the one thing that the Lakers, at least when you look at the percentages, usually don't have very much, and that is that they have shooting. You've got Harden producing. You have Eric Gordon back now. You have Covington. You have Daniel House, who played, who has overall played really well um, against OKC. Um, and you have uh, P.J. Tucker, who's, you know, basically I feel like the master at kick-out corner three, you know, making kick-out corner threes at this point. Um, and, you know, you got guys like Mac Warner come off the bench who can get hot. So it's it's going to be a really – Interesting contrast. I wouldn't be surprised if that's if that if that series if the Houston wins tonight if, or if they beat OKC if that series were to go to um, you know were to go to you know be a long series. I would probably still take the Lakers just because again LeBron and a, It's hard just not to pick LeBron and AD when they're both playing well. But uh, yeah, I definitely I'll, I'll I think I'll take Houston tonight and then yeah, it's gonna be very. They are de- I think they were they were they are definitely going to be an X factor. Type team for I think the rest of the playoffs. They just have they they they're they could they either could you know they they're a team that can just because of their makeup it's kind of hard to I know I think it's a lot it's hard for people to see like well God what you know what what is their true ceiling but um, it's going to be very interesting to watch.
4: I mean yeah just going off like what Carter said and just look at the Rockets and how they play I mean it's either splash or crash down for them I mean it's the way they play just the three point shooting honestly I think. I think the series is going seven games. I think OKC just didn't have their shot on yesterday. I and mean, Lou Dort just shot horrendous last game, three for 16. They shot, what, 15% from three. I think OKC just has enough good shooters to maybe make it at least a game or a good game six. And then in terms of the Lakers series, I think the Lakers, the Lakers could play small ball with them. I mean, it's not like they can't run Anthony Davis and LeBron and then put Kuzma down at the four and Davis at the five. I mean, they definitely have the talent there to contend with a small ball Rockets team. But, I mean, just like you said, the Rockets, they, they kill you with the volume of their shooting. They can shoot 30%, but if they're putting up 57 a game, I mean, it's it's, it's insane, just the amount of threes they shoot. And, you know, normally when, like, you see a coach do something, like, you know, that's you've never seen before. I mean, sort of like the, the introduction of, like, the run and gun offense in UNLV. You know, we've never seen that before. I mean, so normally you, you do have your doubters, and I won't lie, I, I am a very big doubter of Houston's system. I really don't like the way Mike D'Antoni runs the offense. I don't think it's sustainable in a seven-game series for any team to be shooting that many three-pointers. But for me, I, I think they'll, they, they'll definitely steal a game or two because when you shoot like that with the amount of 3 shooters they have, you're bound to win a game or two. But for against a team like the Lakers – I can't, can't, I'm not picking against the Lakers again until it's the Clippers, but um, I think Lakers
3: win six or seven easily. Um, I think that I've never been big on Houston. Uh, All season long, I've been, I told somebody at the beginning of the school year and the beginning of the NBA season that I was really hoping that OKC would get to face Houston in the playoffs so Chris Paul could knock them out. Doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. But I'm still rooting for it. I still really hope OKC (laughs) wins this game. But I think that – I don't think Houston matches up well with the Lakers at all. Um, I think that, as Josh kind of said, they might take a game or two because they shoot that well at times. But also, I just – I don't know. I'm really not a big Houston guy. The small ball lineup I don't think will work against Davis and Howard and McGee and all the guys that the Lakers can throw out. And as somebody already mentioned, that small ball lineup that the Lakers could run too. I mean, theirs is a little bit less small ball because Anthony Davis is much bigger than PJ Tucker, but it's still going to be really tough for the Rockets to get by the Lakers. Um, So I'll take Lakers in five.
0: Yeah. I I like the Lakers, too, in that series that say Houston wins. I do think, which kind of just spoiled my last answer, I do think Houston's going to win. I think they'll win tonight. Um, I just think they're ready to be done with OKC, just ready to move on. Uh, I think – I remember seeing a tweet when uh, Clint Capella got traded. And I don't know if you guys watch uh, Rick and Morty, but um, it was – Anthony Davis when he sees the Rockets front court, and it was a uh, Mr. Poopy butthole riding on the chalkboard just ooh-wee, because you know he was about to eat versus them, but after doing some research, uh the Lakers actually don't even they've uh, lost two out of three to the Rockets. Granted, two of those were before the bubble, and then one was after the Lakers had already clinched the playoffs, so that game, you know they weren't really taking as serious. I kind of agree with what all you guys said. I'm not just gonna, you know, regurgitate. I'll try not to, but Houston, I don't think, can stand with LA in the seven-game series. I do think, like you guys said, they'll steal a game or two because of the way they can just get hot as a flamethrower out there and just start knocking down everything in sight, Um, but I do like the Lakers in that series say Houston wins or if OKC wins, it don't matter. I'm going to go with the Lakers either way. (laughs) So, and then, so do we want to, cause we're about coming up on an hour here, a little over, do we want to just touch real quick on Denver slash Utah versus LAC or do we want to hit the, uh, the draft lottery, which also happened? Mm. Uh, It might be a good idea to speed it up. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, Which one we want to go, draft lottery or? Yeah. Yeah, draft All right. So the, dra- the draft lottery happened, remind me, was, it was Thursday, right? The last draft time. lottery was last Thursday, right? Yeah. Minnesota, the ultimate winner. They will be picking number one in the 2020 NBA draft, which I believe on the NBA website it said that was scheduled for October 17th because of all the new, you know, all the corona and stuff. So, yep, number one goes to Minnesota. Number two, Golden State, Charlotte, Chicago, and Cleveland round out the top five. So we'll start with uh, Darren. What what were your thoughts from uh, the NBA lottery? Well, other than, once again, my hopes
1: of the Pistons being able to actually (laughs) get a some you know, get within the top five at the very least of this draft, although the fact that they are over the Knicks, which is my roommate's favorite team, makes me at least slightly happy. Uh, you know what? I'll say this. With the pick that the Warriors have at two, I would they have a real chance to be able to get because obviously you look at the makeup of the team, you're gonna have Curry back, you're gonna have Draymond back, you're gonna have Clay back, you have Andrew Wiggins, who maybe now that he's with a what what would I think say a much better franchise than ultimately than what the Timberwolves are. Um I you know maybe he can finally fulfill on his long-away potential. The Warriors could have a significant shot at improving. And I think that's either it, whether they end up taking, you know, whoever they might pick at number two, whether it's, you know, obviously if James Wiseman is there, he can, they, they can fill in in terms of that big man starting center role. They can maybe take, you know, another guard to bring out the bench potentially or whoever they, you know, whoever they like, or they could end up trading that pick for, you know, you know, it, more future assets a, a, a impact starter that a starter that can impact their team right now they have a lot of options when it comes to how they can go about improving their team via this draft and it, i think that they they are in my mind of, a, of any team in the top five just because of who they ha, who they already have they are definitely positioned to i won't say they're going to be the dynast, dynastic warriors again but we should. I would not be surprised if, based on how they come out of this draft, that the Warriors could potentially get back to being in the top half of the West again next year.
2: Yeah, they could do a lot with that pick. I mean, I think right now they should probably be taking calls on it because, you know, I don't think that uh, if they do want to get back to being at the top of the, you know, the Western Conference like they have been in the past, obviously I don't think – yeah, they don't, I don't think they'll be that dynasty that they used to be. But uh, they – can really use this pick I mean I think this is what they're gonna this is probably that big that big piece of ammo that they needed to get Giannis because I think that's probably who they want and they should probably be you know taking calls from the Bucks and saying hey we have this pick here and we'll throw in some other things because I don't you know say you know say Anthony Edwards goes number one to Minnesota I don't really see how you know LaMelo Ball can help you in your backcourt right now I mean I think he could do more so in Milwaukee but that's that's you know that's completely hypothetical. I mean, I think that, I think that uh, this pick isn't so much of a you know thing for the Warriors. I thought they were going to win it. Honestly, I thought they were going to be number one at the end of that. But um, yeah, the, the 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 number one pick honestly is not set. I think this year, like the clear front runner for number one, I don't think is set. Um, I thought it was Mellow, especially if maybe Golden State had won it. But um, I think that with with Minnesota, I think that Anthony Edwards going there would be such a good thing, because I think he could play off of Carl Anthony tongues really well, assuming that they give him the money to keep him there. And I think that's kind of how they can build their young core. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for when we do our NBA draft special, because that's when I'll be <laughs> that's when I'll be on the ball. So <laughs>
4: All
0: right. um.
3: Did everyone touch on the draft lottery? Zach, Um, did you get? I did not. Okay. Um, I think that, I mean, we've all mentioned Golden State sitting at two. And it's just, it's really hard not to mention them because it's, they already have so much. They're, I mean, with that draft pick, whether they take the pick or not, I don't think that they're going to get Giannis as much as they'd love to get Giannis. I don't know. I think Giannis would have to come out and make a statement and say, to the Bucs that he's not coming back in order for them to get a chance to actually get Giannis. Cause I just, I don't think Milwaukee wants to take that chance to give up Giannis if they even have even a 40% chance of signing him back in free agency. They don't want to give up the chance of potentially signing him back to trade him away to, or in a sign and trade type thing to, especially a team like Golden State. But I think that, Golden State say they draft James Wiseman, or even maybe trade down with a team like I don't know somebody in the six to nine range, trade down and pick up maybe an Obi Toppin, get some future assets and then pick up Obi Toppin and then they can run out a lineup with Curry, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond and Obi Toppin and that's going to be really tough. I mean, that's a team that can compete for a title. They're might not they not going to be the favorites to win it every year, and they're not going to be the top team. And I'm not necessarily saying they will win a title, but I'm saying that they can compete for it with that nucleus. Um, And kind of to touch on what Carter was saying about the number one pick not being set, I think really the lottery this year more than ever really decided the number or had more of an impact on who the number one pick was going to be. Like last year it was who's going to get Zion. This year, it's who's the pick going to go to, so then we know who's going to be number one. Because if it was, say, the Knicks, it was going to be LaMelo. If it was Minnesota, they don't need a point guard. They don't need a center. So Anthony Edwards seems to be the clear choice. So, yeah, that'll be – it'll definitely be interesting to watch. But the lottery is something that, as Carter said, I'm excited for NBA draft talk uh, coming up in a couple months.
4: I mean, for me personally, I, I absolutely love the lottery this year as a Bulls fan, moving up four spots. So, I mean, I know most of you guys are pissing sand. Sorry, um, sorry to burst your bubble. But, um, it was great for me. But here's the thing about the draft this year is that you look at, like, last year and you look at that trade value of the pick compared to what it would be, like, if there was a clear number two pick. Like, last year you had Zion, uh, R.J. Barrett. And if you look at it, who's the number two guy? James Wiseman, LaMelo, Denny? I mean, yeah, those are all, like, great – Great players, but compared to the amount of talent that you'd normally have in a draft pool like last year, I mean, it's just I just don't see team putting away. Uh, I'm assuming you want a top tier center for the second pick. I just don't think that you can get that value for the second pick. I just think I just think Wiseman's just a safe choice. He can come in, produce right away, you still have an asset. Still, I think I personally think he's going to be the best player out of the draft right away and just has the highest potential. I'm not quite sold on LaMelo ball yet. I really like Denny Avija. I'm going to get more into them you know, once we have our draft special. But just – I mean, it's just going to be – I feel like we're going to have like an Anthony Bennett draft where it's just like you who knows who's going to be the first pick. They might just come out and say they want LaMelo with the first pick. They might go out and take Wiseman. And it's just really a toss-up for me.
0: Yeah, I'm more interested because – no matter who the teams were, we kind of assumed that Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman were all going to be one, two, and three. It just kind of depended on the order. So, I'll be very interested, yeah, what uh, the Bulls do at four. Because, oh, yeah, by the way, no, no more. Josh, you're not on here anymore for being a Bulls fan. But, um, no, I'm just kidding. But, um. But, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how it shakes out. I really do, as Zach said, I really like uh, Mr. Obadiah Toppin from Dayton um, because you can't – watching him play, one of my buddies goes to Dayton, so he's been in my ear about him. But um, just watching him play, though, too, I mean, you can't teach that kind of athleticism that he has. You can't teach how he knows – well, you can't teach how he knows to run the floor, but he knows how to run the floor and in transition – is a very dangerous guy, so who knows what the Bulls will do, who knows how the draft will shape out, but I do know one thing, unfortunately, it's about time we go. So from all of us, Courtside Convo, Impact 88.9 uh, in East Lansing on the campus of Michigan State, your host Bobby Zephro, co-host Carter Landis, Josh Rayapan, Darren Boydune, and Zach Sertanik. We will see you later, courtside combo signing off. Cheer! All right, so yeah, I think we started at like six twenty-three, so this one's gonna be like an hour and nine. That was good. We got a lot. Of, we got a lot of stuff in there.
3: Um, hmm. I like how you put sad face next to Detroit on the script. Oh, (laughs)
0: dude, I was so upset. Like one of my buddies and like, I have like a group me with like all my buddies from high school. And my buddy just sent
3: seven that, that, that (laughs) like, I'm like, ah, I've never been a big distance guy, but I've never really had an NBA team. I just kind of like watching good basketball. I like following the guys that are at Michigan state. Um, Cause I mean, Spartan dogs. Yeah. And I've always been that way. I mean, I, Lived five minutes from campus for most of my life, so oh, there you go. That's bad. Moving day couldn't have been that bad. (laughs) Well, I'm not even. I'm living at home. Oh,
0: well, I guess that makes even more sense too.
3: (laughs) Well, I'm an incoming freshman, so right, yeah. But yeah, no. So it's kind of a. It's been an interesting thing, but the lottery was definitely. I knew as soon as I saw. Well, first I saw New York at eight, and I just started. Dying, yeah. Or when I saw New York at eight, and I saw the Pistons at seven, I was like, "Ooh, that's oh, no, it's good.
0: not funny." <laughs> Just laugh from that. like, oh, like, oh shit. I don't know. I think they'll probably. Ta- I hope they either take Halliburton from Iowa State or that uh that Killian Hayes from France. He's like six five point guard, which I love me some big
3: guards. Halliburton's gonna <laughs> so, be good. Albert. And yeah. good.
0: Thanks. Okay. All right. Well, here, i um, I don't know if you guys want to keep talking. I'm just going to end the meeting so um I can get this yep. thing because the recording doesn't download until after right. the meeting. So thanks for coming, boys. Bye, boys. Adios. Yeah.
2: See ya.
1: See